started. Uh, Bill Gates was in India a couple of weeks ago, and this is what he said. No country has built a more comprehensive digital infrastructure than India. We need innovation from the world, but specifically, we need innovation from India. To talk about India's digital ecosystem as well as the engines for growth, joining me now are three very special individuals. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in giving a warm round of applause as we welcome the Secretary of the Department of Telecommunications, K. Rajaraman. Mr. Rajaraman, can we have you join us here on the Rising India stage. Also with us is Mr. BBR Subramaniam, the new CEO of the Niti IO. Mr. Subramaniam, please join us on the Rising India stage. Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause. And the man who is creating milestones with UPI, the CEO of the National Payments Corporation of India, Dilip Asbe, joins us here at Rising India. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Mr. Rajaraman, the middle is fine, sir. The middle seat is fine and we'll get Dilip right at the end. Thank you very much to all of you for joining us here today. Mr. Rajaraman, let me start by asking you, because the growth of digital India is incumbent on the digital highway and the digital infrastructure, which the Department of Telecommunications that you lead is responsible for. So let me start by asking you about where things currently stand now as far as the national broadband mission is concerned, as well as BharatNet. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who may not be aware, BharatNet is essentially the plan to connect India's villages with high-speed broadband connectivity. So I want to start by asking you for an update on where where things currently stand, what are the latest milestones on that front? So, um, it's a pleasure being, uh, being here in this uh, very diverse audience. Man. So uh, the, the task before us is to actually to enable every citizen of this country to access broadband. That is the ultimate goal that the Honorable Prime Minister said for all of us. So this journey of laying out optic fibers to the rural heartlands, I think, is a very onerous task, given that the we have very diverse territories which are remote, mountainous, etc. So the target that was before us was nearly 2.5 lakh uh, gram panchayats. Out of that, construction is going on in, uh, in, uh, in all the 2.2 and uh, the 1.9 lakh gram panchayats have already been wired up with uh, the optic fiber. So uh, in October, we took the decision of actually commencing the monetization. Because at the end of the day, I, mean, I think they must be put to use. So we have come out with a, uh, a commercial plan, which is not, I mean, which is partly subsidized the sense that we give the box for free. And uh, we also uh, provide band uh, bandwidth at a reasonable cost. And today we have reached, in the last four or five months, we have reached about 2.5 lakh uh, households. They have wired up with, uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, fiber connections. And uh, I mean, we couldn't believe that, uh, that the per household consumption has reached nearly about 160 GB per month. Which is, which, is, which is amazing, I think. So therefore, there is a huge pent-up demand out there. Mm -hmm. And I am sure that the, the way we are going to expand now will actually satisfy that, that requirement for information and, and, and the connectivity to the world, I think. So I believe that BharatNet has, has a great opportunity to actually be a complement to the mobile networks. While 5G gets rolled out, the, the mobility aspect of, of connectivity will get addressed. But I guess there is also a parallel requirement for connectivity at the households, I mean, where penetration may be inadequate. Yeah. So people have requirement for online education, for 
businesses within the households uh, and perhaps even uh, doing online businesses I mean e-commerce and so on and so forth so they will require a complement between the mobile and the and the and the, and the fiber and we believe that this is a great opportunity that we have before us. you know you talked about the opportunity and you also talked about how many households you've managed to connect so far but you also alluded there to monetization but there was a lot of chatter about the fact that monetization had actually been derailed that there wasn't that much public private uh, there wasn't that much private interest in wanting to partner with the public so uh, are you saying that that's not the case is there private sector interest no, no, it's a very good question see incidentally uh, fixed line networks optic fiber networks are very expensive to maintain especially because we have a huge construction work going across the country we have a huge number of programs india is forever under construction yes. so therefore uh, cuts i mean it, every fiber network suffers nearly about four cuts per per 1000 kilometers per month so uh, the, the cost of maintaining an OI, uh, fiber optic network is, is very onerous so therefore and coupled with that we have a low i mean what do you say expected revenue base in the rural areas so it's a very hard market unlike the urban areas so therefore uh the uh, the private sector perception of this particular uh, value of this value of this particular uh, um, um, network is is a little low I mean I think we, we can well understand that therefore I think we have decided to go forward with the public sector model wherein BSNL will maintain it run it and then monetize the last mile so we are not monetizing the whole uh, network but the last mile where from the uh, village point i think they will take it to the households and maintain it and service the customer and that's worked well when i think i'll i'll come to bsnl and the revival package that the government announced for bsnl in a second but let me get mr subramaniam into the conversation as well mr subramaniam you know as part of the india at 75 vision niti aayog had put together a strategy uh, document a strategy paper on the use of digital technologies the use of digital innovation as things currently stand beyond ayushman bharat beyond health and financial inclusion where do you believe the next bed of innovation will lie especially in the context of the development state that the niti aayog is pushing for uh, before i answer that i'd like to actually take you back what's the importance of digital public infrastructure i think that's very very important to understand you see i think the digital space grew in an area of benign neglect governments around the world allowed them to grow because i think that was required very early on one didn't understand how these digital technologies would grow and how they would pan out in the long run but over now in the last 20 years people have actually realized that there are a lot of externalities that come out of this there are network externalities and actually a few firms can actually dominate the entire digital space and that's where i think the digital public infrastructure concept becomes very very important i mean it's very related to what we call technology commons and commons are a public good so there is a fundamental question is the digital architecture through which the world today and certainly the world of the future is going to be run going to be uh, run by a few monopolies or oligopolies or is it going to be left common on which a lot of innovation technology entrepreneurship can drive and i think that's where india is a leader in three areas and in the thought itself in content and most importantly in rollout i mean we have been rolling out it in billions and therefore you have so many examples of digital public infrastructure in india and you've got the upi you've got aadhar you've got the account aggregator stack you've got covin you've got the agri stack coming up you've got the logistics stack which is coming up there is a labor stack in the pipeline so niti plays an interesting role i mean the role of niti is a as a think tank of the government 
it is, its job is to ideate, incubate, yeah. and then transfer, the IIT of the government. So as the IIT of the government, I think it's done it successfully. It pushed digital payments. I think it's in the process of pushing a couple of other things. I mentioned agri. I've talked about labor. I've talked about logistics. I mean, the portal was conceived here, but then now you have a department mm. taking it forward. So I see a bright future, and I see this space being an area which will actually drive Indian technology and much more Indian entrepreneurship in, in India and globally. You know, that, that, that's a nice line that you've given us. Niti Ayog is the IIT uh, uh, for, for India, and I can see many will probably go with that headline tomorrow. It's a quotable quote there, Mr. Subramaniam. Uh, but, you know, I, I'll come back to you on, on the importance of uh, the digital goods aspect that you spoke of and what we can now expect in the next phase of growth. But let me get to Dilip Aspi of NPCI. And before I get to you, Dilip, let me do a quick uh, poll here of the audience. How many people here use UPI? Uh, I... Literally, literally everybody in this room. Dilip, that should so be a big, sm who, big who smile to your face. Who didn't raise the hand, actually? <laughs> who doesn't use UPI? Yeah. <laughs> There's one, one solitary gentleman in the room yeah. and, and, okay, three, three people in this room who don't use UPI. So, well, the house is on, on your side, uh, Dilip. But let me start by talking to you about something that has captured the headlines overnight. And I know you've spent a large part of your day clarifying that. What is the reason behind the charges that you've brought in? I know you've clarified that these charges don't impact you and me, i.e. the consumer. It is yeah. at the merchant's end that the charge applies. But explain to me the reason behind this. And I'll also tell you the fear in the mind of the customer, that this is only the start, that this is the start of charges being imposed on consumers for using UPI. The other fear is, look, Consumer will have to pay one way or the other. The merchant will, in a way, get the consumer to pay. So I want you to clarify on the rationale behind these charges and whether this could lead to more such kind of charges. So first of all, Shirin, uh, you know, there are two uh, entities which, which are actually taking part in the merchant payments. One is the customer and second is the merchant. And obviously there is a P2M, which is person to merchant and person to person transa transactions in uh, UPI or any other payment system. So one thing is very clear that customer never pays for any payment transaction, right? Whether it's a peer-to-peer -peer or peer-to-merchant. Always merchant as a user of the payment system pays the nominal reasonable charges for the payment system. So that's the first principle. The second point is the UPI for the bank account, uh, using the bank account, is already uh, free with the, with the government uh, notification. And again, if there is a review, if there is a change, again, the government will have to decide on the next course on that. The, the notification which we issued was pertaining to the prepaid wallets, right? Yeah. Because with the RBI guideline, the wallets are now interoperable. And while they were already operating on the cards, they were not permitted in UPI. So to permit them in UPI, the interchange was permitted. So that's, I think, a nutshell clarified situation. Again, there as well, only the merchant pays, the consumer doesn't pay anything. You, you've made that amply clear, uh, not just here on the Rising India stage, but even in the NPCI press release that came out this morning, clarifying that the consumer doesn't need to pay. Yeah. But the larger question is, Dilip, when we're talking about moving to a billion uh, transactions, uh, you know, which is what the aspiration is for you, you're anticipating a 10x growth from here by 2030. Someone's got to pay. Yeah. Uh, how do you, who is going to invest? Where do you get the money from? So, uh, so uh, again, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, today as we stand, you rightly said the near-term goal, which is next two years to three years, we are looking at a billion transactions. We are at 30 crore on a daily basis. Uh, 
uh, the peak transaction. That does and deserve a round of applause, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. 30 crore transactions. And it's all made in India, operated by India for the citizens. I think it's a it's a great uh, uh, beginning. I must say that it's not the it's not the end. We still have to grow 10x. So I, I think when we look at a billion a day or 10x growth, which is the the three billion per day, which is the true potential of India. You are right. I think we need money. We need investments both on the customer side because uh, there are 600 million eligible customers who can actually come inside the digital payments who are outside today. There are another 100 million merchants who are outside the digital payments who, who can come inside. So I think it is going to need money. Uh, you know, as on date, uh, you know, the government is uh, kind of giving the digital payment incentive uh, to the to the ecosystem. And and there is a dialogue with the, with the ecosystem and the government, uh, the stakeholders that, you know, how do we... How do we grow UPI to 10x now? And how do we ensure that the awareness, education, the, the whole consumer and merchant onboarding for the large number uh, takes place? Uh, you know, even if we don't do anything, it will happen in the next 10 to 15 years' time. Now the question is, can we do this by 2030? I think that's the question which we are looking at. And, and I think it's an issue which is, which is under discussion. So let's see how, how it progresses. As of now, the government is paying the incentives and ecosystem is... Is, is still trying to look at a very positive, with a very positive outlook that, you know, we need to, we need more investments. Banks, fintechs, yeah. everybody. That is the reality. We need more investments. I'd, if I'd, the consumer is not going to pay, uh, who does, Mr. Subramaniam? I'd like to add a point, you know. I think everybody remembers. Uh, flying in India was supposed to be a rich man's fancy. And you remember Captain Gopinath came with Deccan Aviation, and then he said, we'll sell tickets for one rupee. It changed people's mindsets. Today, everybody thinks of flying as an alternative to railways, irrespective of what their income levels are. I think the same thing with UPI. In the initial years, you need to promote, you need to see that it becomes a habit. And then once the ecosystem is large enough, and large enough not just domestically, but that you are able to compete globally, because there are alternative payment systems, you should be able to be strong enough to take them on. At that point, one can think of other ways. But in the initial years, all technologies need to be sustained with some degree of support. Yes, that support, uh, you, as you put it, is, uh, is understood. But, you know, you talked about the global aspiration. Let me get each one of you to comment on that. And, Dilip, I'll start by asking you. Uh, you know, the, the plans to globalize UPI, an initial beginning has been made with the pact that's been struck with Singapore and India. Uh, I know that you believe that this could be the model, this could be the template for what we could do with other countries. What's the appetite? You are going to be speaking. Dilip is on his way to the G20 Sherpa meeting in Kumarakom. He's going to be speaking there. This is one of the priorities that the Indian government has set out as part of the G20 presidency. I mean, how quickly do you believe UPI can truly globalize? So, uh, Shirin, uh, the Prime Minister's vision and, again, the government, RBI, all are working towards the way India is self-sufficient on the payments. Uh, for the domestically, I think next 10 to 20 years time, a long, long uh, vision is to be self-sufficient on the cross-border uh, pipes as well. And uh, and it's a time-consuming process, but the 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 beginning has been made with the with the Singapore-India corridor. I think in 30 seconds, uh, one country's bank account can be debited, and another country's bank account can be created with all forex conversions, the compliances, the checks, AML, all CFT. I, I think this is, I think the Singapore model has uh, given that confidence to the world in my assessment that in 30 seconds, two, con two bank accounts in two different countries can transact. I think this is just a beginning and I, uh, the RBI, the, the MEA, uh, the, the government is also helping us to, uh, to reach out to the other central banks and, uh, you know, their agencies to, to create this cross-border pipes. It's a, 
it's a long journey but i think i i think the everybody's committed to make this happen you know we'll have to look at an investment approach right because you know the transaction will take longer time to pick up to the level what we're looking at but but i think the outlook is outstanding 100 billion dollar remittance we get on a on a yearly basis plus we have a huge travel uh, yeah. now out of outbound to uh, from india so i think so it's, it's a great story we'll have to keep doing this so in the next 5 years what would you believe we could where where could we be as far as globalization is concerned so i i i think you know you know it may not be a very uh, very wrong to say that you know at least a few countries utilizing the india's payment stack right prime minister said that india's public good can be the public good of the world uh similarly the having the cross border pipes with at least 15 uh top countries out of 30 to have the self sufficient cross border pipes to process remittances and payments well and that's a vision we are looking at well you know it's not going to be an easy road as you know Absolutely. but but uh, but that that is the vision and it's an aspirational vision is that uh, mr rajaraman speaking of aspirational visions uh, and targets the 5g rollout i was speaking with the global ceo of ericsson uh, and he said that uh, what india has been able to do as far as the 5g rollout is concerned so far is probably the fastest 5g rollout in the world and by the end of 2023 or by march of 2024 between both jio and bharti we should see uh, nationwide coverage as far as 5g is concerned you've already been tasked with rolling out 6g i, I, I mean when when are we realistically talking about that it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a good question because uh, if you look at our story i mean starting from 2g i mean i think the the country was essentially a consumer of of technology i mean i think for 2g 3g and a best part of 4g so that's, that's that was very unfortunate I mean i think though we had the capabilities we look at the history I mean, we had an organization called cdot we have an organization cdot's contribution to the construction of uh, of say, of uh, building di- digital exchanges in those days in 90s is phenomenal I mean, i think i mean the way it was able to replace international uh, i mean options was phenomenal I mean, I but somewhere in between i think they lost the the the, the, the opportunity to innovate so not only cdot but the entire ecosystem but the last several years I, mean, i think i would say 7 8 years i think the the confidence has returned to the local domestic industry that because essentially it is not about building technology building technology has to come along with market access if we don't promote our own products who else will so therefore i think that is the confidence that the industry has got today so therefore i would say the last several years i think uh, i mean let me also say that while we are talking about mobile technologies india is a world leader in optical communication technology some of our companies are exporting to nearly about 40 countries i mean their fiber networks fiber the the optical communication networks and so on and so forth routers and so on and so forth so it is in mobile i think probably somewhere we lost in between so last several years i think now we have built a 4g core put it to the strictest standards of tests and now we are there many things so and uh, cdot has also rolled out a 5g nsa core and by end of this year they are going to roll out a 5g sa core and it's not only about cdot I mean, i think we have companies like tcs i mean jio all of them have made contribution they are all now enthused enough to say that okay we are also going to join the bandwagon and let me say that the 5g roll out itself jio stack also contains their own i mean i think uh, i mean uh, equipment so this is something which is we are very proud of incredibly proud of and we need to support it so how do we support it that's the question that's a fundamental question so one is providing market access the other is thing we need to fund the r&d if you look at the world majors they all have spent tens of billions of dollars every year in research so our research by far has been very very low so for the first time i think we have now a formal system we have a telecom technology development fund we are funding startups so i think this needs to grow to scale i mean i think mm. it's not as if government has not been funding 
but focused funding on a particular technology where we have been largely consumers of technology right. is the focus. So I think a combination of market access and investment in R&D will get you there. And we are very confident because now we have stacks which can compete with the best in the world. And I think maybe the end of this year we will see substantial global traction as well. You know, I, I think and that is a, that's been a legacy issue, uh, the lack of investment in R&D, uh, public as well as private, and, uh, and that has been something that we need to uh, correct. But, you know, since we're talking about 5G, I'm going to do another quick uh, poll here of our guests. How many people have already switched to 5G? Well, that's not bad. That's, uh, that's about 30% of the room has perhaps moved over to, to 5G. Uh, but... You know, the, Mr. Subramaniam, since we're talking about what is going to be the next layer of innovation, uh, especially in the context of the priorities of a development state, uh, accountability, efficiency, transparency, where do you believe we currently stand on that front? And how important do you think it is going to be in this era for India to really have a robust law, data protection and data privacy law, which we don't currently? I think on the data protection law, you, you've seen the statements of the minister. I think the act is in the final stages. I think probably in the monsoon session, you'll have the act coming up. They've had public consultation. I think it's a forward-looking act. And I think uh, the concerns of industry as well as uh, stakeholders have been taken on board. So I think that's something that's going to be coming up. I think the biggest thing they're going to keep in mind that India is a great provider of digital technologies and software around the world. And so we shouldn't harm that either. So I think as one reads it and one is privy to some of the discussions that are going on, we will have a forward-leaning uh, data protection law, which will also ensure that our existing businesses which are there in the country, and India is a major services uh, producer, both domestically and internationally, that without that being heard, adequate data protection is there for the individual. Coming back to the other question, where do you see the development trajectory going, etc.? I will limit myself again to digital public infrastructure. I think this is one area where India is actually playing the role of a disruptor globally. And I think that's very important. We could have flown along with the tide and then done what everybody else is doing. I think it's very interesting that India is actually poking its nose, creating waves, breaking up existing patterns, creating new architectures, which is allowing our own firms to piggyback on that public architecture and come up with new solutions, new technologies, new applications. Give, give me examples of this poking nose disruption that you speak no, of. It's, it's, it's very clear. I mean, I will begin one by one. Look at Aadhaar, the identity. I mean, uh, the day is not far away when we're going to sell Aadhaar as an identity globally. I mean, it is quite possible to do that. We already have everything about uh, seven to eight crore people outside India who use digital identities using our work. So I think this is going to an instead of having 200 passwords. I mean, this could be a digital identity. Estonia is probably selling digital identity globally, but they're in a couple of million. Look at our size and scale, and we have proved that it works. Look at what um, uh, UPI is doing. I mean, I'm actually a bit more ambitious than an SPCL in the sense that when I'm not going to look at it as something which is just cross-border 30 countries or 15 countries. I foresee this as a major challenge to what existing financial transaction systems globally are. This is going to be a threat to SWIFT. This is going to be a threat to other payment systems around the world. I mean, it's not impossible that 15, 20 years down the road, 
the UPI model becomes the basic payment model around the world within countries for their own internal financial transaction. And where India benefits from that is being the thought leader in this, it's our firms which will have the products which will then be universally applicable. One of the complaints against the Indian software sector that we provide, you know, white labor, we are basically doing back office work and we don't develop products. The advantage of this and the third one, the account aggregator framework, which RBI has developed. In a way, that is piggybacking on UPI and the digital payment system where you're going to have fintech firms which are going to lend to people not on assets but on cash flows. I mean, that's a fundamental shift. I mean, uh, a telawala on a road doesn't have assets but he has cash flows and you can actually lend to people on cash flows. Once you've established that principle, think of how it will explode globally. And so whatever you see, be in Bangalore, Bombay, outside Delhi, these new startups, the unicorns that are coming up, they're not unicorns just for nothing. But they are coming up with business models which are riding on our public architecture, which tomorrow I foresee as at least half or more than half of them being global standard. And building on what um, uh, NSPC, UPI is doing, what India should be doing is after having established the proof of concept on scale in India, we need to set global standards. And the day that happens, you will see that Indian standards means more Indian created stuff, be it products or um, uh, technologies spreading around the world. I think that's the game of the future. Are we going to get into standard making? And I think we are on the way. And that's where the G20 will help. Well, Dilip Asbe, are you ready for this challenge to, that, that Mr. Subramaniam has thrown your way? Replace SWIFT in the next 20 years? No, no. I, okay. Look, you know, I, I, think, I think what, what we are looking at, more innovation as you, as you and uh, Sir was talking about. I think we, we still have huge amount of innovation to be made by the by our companies. The the while the public platform is run, you know the the private players has to has to innovate, right? I'm saying so. Whether you look at offline payments, whether you look at recurring, there is still a huge growth, right? RBI has recently launched the digital currency again. So I think today we are standing at you know 13% cash to GDP ratio, right? We want to if we want to call ourselves a developed countries in the next 20 years time. I think we should be in a lower, in a in a higher single digit at least, if not if not lower. So I believe that there is a lot more to be done in my assessment. Yes, uh, you you've said that it is a journey and uh, it's a long distance covered, but a long distance to go uh, as well. But you know, Mr. Rajaraman, let let's address the issue since we're talking about globalization and we're talking about India leading innovation. Through the PLI scheme, the government has tried to bring in manufacturing in India, including in the telecom sector. Uh, there's also uh, part of that is to try and create domestic champions. But are we creating powerful domestic brands? Um, you know, manufacturing, contract manufacturing for Apple or Foxconn, etc., is one thing. But to truly be a domestic champion, are we creating brands that can go global? So, um, uh, this is also a very interesting question. So, because essentially uh, one intervention doesn't answer this question. So, if you want to build domestic champions, number one, I think we must focus on India designs. Designing a product is very, very important. So, while the government launched a PLI in 2021, I think we, we had a further round of discussion in the industry and we, it struck us that probably we should be supporting Indian designed products. So therefore, we came out with a design-linked PLI scheme where Indian patents-based products would be given higher incentives. So I think that is the first step that we have done. 
Second thing, we have set up a telecom development fund, technology development fund, because essentially designs require a lot of investment in R&D. So that also is something which needs to be done. So therefore, at the end of the day, unless we uh, support um, products which are based on local designs, which means that Indian companies must invest in R&D, I think then India's presence in the global space would be rather restricted. So therefore, our exercise has been to answer this question in, in different ways, Minating. And third, of course, is market access, about which I've already talked, Minating. Mr. Subramanian, let's address this issue because I, I think uh, come uh, February, uh, which is the time that the union budget is presented, everyone in the corporate sector says uh, there should be more incentives given to corporate India for R&D investments. And this has been a long-standing demand. There have been many changes. In fact, there's been a rollback of the incentives that the government was providing. But if India truly has to lead uh, when we talk about innovation, especially uh, digital technologies, uh, what do you believe the government can do to facilitate or spur private investment in R&D? Uh, I was just recently reading a paper and they identified 44 critical technologies which, will, which are critical both for security as well as for industry as well as for leadership. And uh, of course, the big worry there was China is dominant in about 35 of them. They're number one, not United States. But the more interesting thing is that in about 30 of them, India is in the top five. So, I mean, let's not be sad about what Indian R&D is doing. Uh, there is a lot of good R&D going on in India. But the fact of the matter is, uh, are we getting into products and are we getting into brands? And I think the point you said there was earlier, I'll combine the two and answer. Number one, I think there is a development life cycle even in industry. You first need to get into manufacturing. I mean, a lot of manufacturing has got hollowed out in India. I mean, in his own sector, Indian telecom industries, telephone industries were the first public sector. And then we started importing a lot of stuff. So I think we're getting back onto the rails. So let's get into mass manufacturing first. That's what China did. But just wait. In four, five years, from mass manufacturing, China has no brands. And there are brands everywhere. So I foresee the large-scale production that is there in PLI gradually transforming into brands because at some point the company who's actually doing manufacturing for the third party is going to think why can't i make my own brand so i think that's what the evolution is we never supported scale let the scale come in once the scale comes i mean human innovation will take them to brands coming back to r and d i think issue is not about tax benefits or whatever i think uh, the primordial urge of industries to survive and grow requires them to invest in r and d and they are doing it. I mean, look at our automobile sector. And I'm, I'm going back to my past position, wherever I was. You talk to the two-wheeler industry in India. The two-wheeler industry in India is global, the world-beating, and they're the best. They're not, ter they're not terrified about any two-wheeler from some other country. Go to EVs. In two-wheeler EVs, today India is top gun. Nobody can beat India in two-wheeler EVs in the kind of technology. And it's not, it's not that you're making the two-wheeler. It's the inner components, the parts, the touch screens, all of them are now designed in India. There's nobody else who can be there. I think that's where, be it the FAME program, be it the PLIs, as we push more into these areas, I'm quite sure R&D is as important as manufacturing. It will happen in, in, uh, uh, in consonance. And you've got departments which are individually supporting R&D. Mr. Rajaraman, you know, since we are talking about manufacturing, let me very quickly get an update from you on the semiconductor plans. Again, a very aspirational, ambitious plan that we put on the table in terms of manufacturing semiconductors here in India. What's the update, sir? We've all been waiting for one. 
So the, uh, this is with the Ministry of Electronics and Information I, I, Technology. I know, but I, I know so, that the government doesn't work in silos anymore. Yes, At yes, least that's what that's we right. keep hearing. Yes, sir. But then I think the, uh, the, 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 the process of calling for proposals are in the final stage of examination. So I, we expect some decisions probably in, the, in a month or two. So at the end of the day, it is a process. So it is just not about the announcing a set of in initiatives. A lot of initiatives all are ha already happening. Like, for instance, uh, we in India have a very strong, fabulous design capability in Bangalore and many other parts of the country. I think. In fact, most of the multinational companies have their back-end fabulous uh, chip design facilities in India. So the R&D headcount is huge, I think. So the capabilities already exist in India, except we need to move to the next stage of fabrication. In fact, that is being overcome by the industry by actually sending it out to other countries. So I wouldn't say it's a, it's a disability, but if you go to large-scale manufacturing, well, it is in a sense. So I think maybe in a couple of years from now, I think once this, uh, this initiative takes off. I mean, so there are two, three parts to it. One, of course, is to um, set up the fab facility, for which I think probably the decisions are in a very advanced stage. The other thing is to create the ecosystem that will support it. That's very, very important because you need a, the skill sets and you need the supply chain because both are very critical to the semiconductor industry. A supply chain which is very, very specialized, I think rare gases and, and specialty chemicals and so on and so forth. So that is something which the government is actually working with. And I think there are a number of producers already in India who are now being kind of, uh, um, in kind of coordinated into producing to scale and to the quality that the semiconductor industry requires. And also... The government is also actively working with the uh, with the industry in actually building the skill sets that are required for the for manufacturing. So therefore, that requires uh, people with lithography skills, the uh, EDA tools, etc., etc. So I think a number of uh, institutions and number of collaborations are on 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 the job, including design of advanced chipsets, etc. And as far as I, I mean, our department is concerned. We've also launched a, a, a submission to actually to look at about three, four telecom chipsets, which are crucial to telecom manufacturing, and we'll also be working on them. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Dilip Aspe, uh, you're headed to the G20 Sherpa meeting in Kumarakum. You are going to be presenting your story, the UPI story, the NPCI story there tomorrow morning. Why don't you give us a sneak peek on, on what the story is going to be that you tell the G20 so, uh, here with us here in the audience? So, Shirin, I think, I think we just have been talking about uh, how the UPI can help any other country uh, you know, we have spent about 12, 13 years now building up the digital payment story of India. Uh, so why the country has to spend all the time, all the efforts, right? So that's the that's a pitch back to the other countries. Obviously, it's their choice to to use or not to use. But we are we are kind of looking at a knowledge uh, support. We are looking at a software support uh, under the regulator to regulator arrangement. We are also giving the source code to the uh, to the central banks so that they are self-sufficient and they are not dependent on India for that matter. So these are the kind of things and, and obviously how do we make the cross-border efficient because G, one of the G20 mandates has been improve the access, transparency, the, the cost and it has to be real-time, right? So these are the four principles of G20 laid down for the cross-border remittances. So again, how do we get more traffic on uh, adhering to these four principles? So a lot of work, I think a lot of discussions are happening and uh, uh, you know, we believe that, you know, hopefully the countries are looking at uh, India as an as a aspirational uh, story which they can use uh, as, as their partner to, to build up their uh, uh, domestic payments.
that was a very quick sneak peek on what uh, Dilip is going to be presenting to the G20 Sherpas in Kumarakom tomorrow. I know you have a flight to catch, Dilip. Uh, uh, so thank you very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause to Dilip Aspe, the CEO of NPCI. We wish you the very best of luck uh, as you make your pitch to the G20. Gentlemen, let me come back to, to the two of you. Uh, and uh, Mr. Subramanian, let's address the issue of uh, what we can expect next. The Niti Aayog, in fact, has put out a paper saying that digital banks could be the future, that India has a facilitating environment in light of Aadhaar, in light of everything else that we've been able to do with UPI, etc., that digital banks may not necessarily be far away in the future. You see, digital banks is an old idea. I mean, it's at least 20 years old. Uh, there are countries which have floated digital banks. But they've just not taken off for a variety of reasons. Uh, what you have had is actually computerization of, you know, brick-and-mortar banks. And then uh, your interface with branches has reduced, but banks have not vanished. But now that you see the building blocks are already there, you've got a payment system, you've got an identity system, you've got your, your presence-less, paperless, cashless, all that happening. Digital banks is just one step away. Uh, it's just a question of... RBI as a regulator, becoming comfortable with the concept. And uh, it's not far away that RBI will also have to accept reality, that this is the way forward. And India is actually best positioned to do that. And once you have digital banks, and of course, there will be a different regulatory setup for that. It's not a payment system because banking system affects the entire economy. You need some prudential norms to manage that. But once the RBI sets up and recognizes the need for this, understands that technological progress is inevitable. So, and then you recognize that, you set up a regulatory system. I think India can be a leader in digital banks. I mean, Niti's paper is a forward-looking paper. I think that's the job of Niti, to wake people up and shake people up and say that, look, if you don't do it, somebody else will do it. And why don't we do it first? And if we do it first, we again become global leaders in that area. Yes, this was a paper presented by the Niti Ayoga in 2022 on how India can take the leap as far as digital banks are concerned. But Mr. Rajaraman, you know, Mr. Subramaniam said Niti is the IIT of the government, but let me ask you about the work that you're doing with the real IITs, which is IIT Madras on the 5G test bed. Uh, you know, while everyone's talking here about 5G and eventually moving to 6G where India wants to be the leader uh, as far as the 6G rollout is concerned, uh, but use cases of 5G that are relevant and contextual for India and our aspiration for growth, what do we have as of today? So um, let me first of all answer the first question on this test bed, Manating. So since your, the title of your session is Recognizing Real Heroes, Manating, I must place on record. Some of the finest engineers in India, Manating, many of them who stayed back in India and are working hard silently, I think I would like to recognize them. Like, for instance, the engineers, the 1,500 engineers we have in CDOT. Phenomenal work they have done in developing the 4G core and the 5G core. Similarly, the IITs you mentioned. There are many professors out here who are doing high-end research in 5G advanced, and some of them have got 6G-related patents as well, I think. So these are outstanding people who are also, I, mean, I think, taking the tough task of, of actually filing a patent. Filing a patent can be incredibly difficult. Let me tell you that. I think it can be incredibly difficult because getting a global patent is even more difficult. So this is something which, uh, which actually inspires a lot of us, I think, because we believe that uh, these, uh, these researchers out in public research institutions and in IITs and in industry 
are the ones actually who are driving the nation by creating new products and employing well, employment. Well, they do deserve a round of applause. Yes. The silence, yes. but real heroes yes. who are working, working Absolutely. across across different institutions uh, on on new technologies like 5G, etc. They do deserve a big round of applause. Sorry, you were going. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there is also another category of people who who, believe, who I believe are great heroes. Like, for instance, the Bharat Nets. The question that you asked. There are, in the last five, six months, we have enrolled about 5,000 Bharatnet Udyamis, who are youngsters out in the village, who have taken the trouble of drawing the fiber and taking you to the houses, maintaining, answering the customer calls, and making the digital India happen. So, these guys, I mean, I think uh, they, are the, they, are, they are the ones who are probably going to take digital to the villages. So, these guys are amazing. In fact, I think when we, we send teams out to the rural heartland, Incredible stories emerge. Like, for instance, I, I remember a story, particular story, about a, an old man who is living in a village in Haryana, who, whose son was there on a short visit. After seeing the fiber and the digital connectivity in the village, he promised his father that I will bring my, your grandchildren back to the village now, from the U.S. So I think so, I mean, I think they are going to host him, host the grandchildren for the first time after several years because they have now hope that they can stay connected, you know, I think. So th these are the stories that you get from the villages. So coming back to your question on 5G use cases, I guess... Uh, these, this is, these are early days. I mean, I think the technology is getting rolled out across the country. The, the feel of the technology is also something which, which enterprises need to understand, the costs, the benefits, etc. So at this point of time, in the last eight, nine months, we have actually launched an interministerial committee, which is working with all the ministries, the central public sector undertakings, and the private sector to look at sector-specific use cases. Education, the, the use cases are in education, in agri smart agriculture, in mining, in enterprise, within the shop floors and the factories, to look at workstation monitoring. So there are incredibly different use cases, including the social sector. Like, for instance, there is a use case where AI with, uh, say, high-resolution cameras wired to the smart city uh, control room can actually enable to throw up alerts about chain snatching or some attack in the, in the street or some crime which is happening in the street, etc. So those are the kinds of things that can happen, that can enable citizen safety, citizen convenience and comfort when many go, travels late in the night. So incredibly different, diverse use cases are emerging, and we are supporting them. Every ministry is now funding them, for instance, funding these use cases, because pilots have to be run to ensure that there is sufficient confidence to invest in replication across the country. So I think this is all happening now. I think you will see a large number of use cases getting rolled out by the end of this year and early, early next year. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing what those use cases are that you say they are, will be rolled out by the end of the year. You know, Mr. Subramanian, we are talking about uh, AI, ML, emerging technologies, advanced technologies. Uh, this, this takes me back to a conversation I had many, many, many years ago with Sam Petroda, where he said that while India is talking about technology and adoption of technology, uh, we would have truly arrived when government offices will replace the Nadewali files altogether. How far are we from that? <laughs> Okay, uh, I must mention this. So when I left my previous office and I took a couple of months off, uh, I wanted to tie some paper and take it back. And I couldn't get a file pad in my office to tie it. So actually the NADA has disappeared. Uh, we are actually in government only on e-office. We are on e-file, everything. I mean, I don't spend more than 20 minutes clearing files in a day. It gives me so much more time to think. I mean, uh, used to have this uh, pune or the class four employee whose job was basically to carry files from desk to desk. In most government offices, they have vanished. And I think that's a big credit to the government. This is something that has happened very rapidly in the last five, six years. And it's a, it's a work in progress. We'll evolve to next stage. 
But the fact is today, files are moving completely electronically and not just within ministries, but across barriers, across ministries. So I think that's a, we don't get applications for leave or whatever. So everybody is online, everybody is doing stuff. So I think the government has evolved. We have a lot more to do. Uh, we are not yet into data analytics in a big way. Government throws up a lot of data. So using data for decision making, these are frontier areas. But the basic rubric of actually working online is, is right across. In fact, trying to get something physical now is a big problem. <laughs> so we, we have come a long way. I want to ask both of you. Uh, Mr. Rajaraman, I'll start by asking you, what, what are the apps that you spend most of your time on? I think it's e-office, as you said. <laughs> e-office and then maybe a little bit of uh, WhatsApp and uh, DigiLocker and those kind of stuff. You know, there are UPI, for instance, I think. So these are the... Um, um, and we have a... Video conferencing app, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, called Samvad and, uh, I mean, uh, C.Meet. These are also incredibly useful applications, I, mean, I think. Mr. Subramanian, what, what are you on? Uh, uh, pretty similar stuff, and I'm not on uh, streaming services, so I don't have Amazon Prime or whatever. But I must tell you one story, and that, that's very interesting. I think uh, Asbe has left, but you would find it interesting. A couple of months ago, I was on the beach in Vaisai on a morning walk, and, you know, I wanted to buy Dal Muri early in the morning. So I bought, and I asked the lady, and then she's probably semi-literate, maybe class two, three passed. And she said, kitna, and she said, 10 rupees. And then I didn't have much in my, I had a 100 rupee note. And I pulled it out, and she looked back at me and said, UPI nahi hai aapke paas. <laughs> and you know, you felt so ashamed, you know. So here is a man, and here is this lady on a beach telling you, don't you have UPI? <laughs> she, she didn't even say UPI. Telephone se nahi pay kar sakte hai kya, you know. And you know, I feel very, very ashamed. I'm not carrying my phone. But you know, that's evolution. And I think that's the kind of barrier we have crossed. And, and, and the day we ride on this 5G and the speed at which it is being rolled out, you will see uh, public switching to it so fast. And the use cases will develop not just inside government, but 10x outside government. Yes, uh, that, that is the hope and that is the expectation that we will see uh, a lot being built on the 5G networks uh, that are currently uh, being rolled out. Well, uh, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much for joining us here at the Rising India Summit, for giving us a sense of what the government's priorities are when it uh, comes to digital India. Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for Mrs. Subramaniam as well as Mr. Rajaraman. Thank you very much for your time. Big round of applause, gentlemen. May I just request you...